Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So we're going to read from the Word of God right now. So listen to where we're heading today. Starts off with listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did... I'm reading the wrong one. Wait. No, I am reading the wrong one. (laughs) Mark Foreman? Excuse me. Here, I'll, I'll do it. Here. I can I can read it. You know, isn't it great to have mistakes? Yes. Um, I remember someone when we were back at the shopping center and. Uh, Buzz was leading worship at the time, and someone came up to me afterwards and, and said, I'm leaving this church. And I said, why? And he said, it's too perfect. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I remember in the day when Buzz would break a string or someone would sing a wrong note or something, and everything's just flawless now. And I said, so you're leaving. And I said, we're still, we're still imperfect. <laughs> So, exhibit A, we're still uh, imperfect, so, and it actually flows right into the message, as you'll see. So, we're in Luke chapter 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, "Uh, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them. Yeah, that's it. I'm on my way to try them. Please excuse me. Still another said, uh, I just got married, so I can't come. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered had been done, has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste of my banquet. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning We want a seat at your table, and now speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I love this parable, as I do all of the parables, but one of the things about the parables is they always have this kind of secret spot on it, that that at the end, it it takes a certain twist, where we didn't expect it to go there, And, and this parable is no different. 
I was thinking about this a lot yesterday when I was, you know, you wonder how pastors prepare for sermons. And it just wasn't gelling with me, so I went surfing. (laughs) And uh, as I'm paddling out, I I got this great illustration. And and you're going to love this guy because it it happened at the spot you like to surf. So I I have to change the name uh, so that nobody knows who this is. Um, because it's not you. At any rate, I'm thinking about the, this very parable about who's in, who's out. You know, and we've just kind of come out of this time in COVID. Well, who's in, who's out? Who's right, who's wrong? Who's accepted, who's rejected? Who's canceled, who's not canceled? And then if you raise the odds and say, no, it, it's God's table. It's the messianic feast of the end of time when the the Messiah is going to be hosting this banquet. And don't we all hope that we're there? Don't we all think, well, yeah, if I were God, I would accept me too. I would would like me to be there. And, And so then you wonder, well, who's out and who's in? So I'm paddling out yesterday thinking about this. And I said, you know, I need a good illustration about this. And one of the guys says to another guy, long borders, and says, hey, where's Frank? And the other guy says, oh, Frank's not here anymore. He's persona non grata. Really? Not accepted here anymore? No. What happened? He went off on everybody. By the way, that's translated, he got angry at everybody and yelled at everybody. So he went off on everybody. And really, yeah, so no one would talk to him anymore. We snubbed him. He is persona non grata. And I thought, there it is. Only persona non grata at God's table, at the messianic feast of the end of time. So that's not what any of us want. We want we want to be there. So what does it mean to be at Jesus' table, what, what is the qualifying thing? And most people, if they've been in the church a while, we say, well, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I would agree with that, but there's something that happens within religion that I want us to think about. It happened in the Jewish nation. There was a time when the Jews were outside and everybody else was inside. Like, when they were in Egypt, they were slaves. And God, through the prophets, was trying to always remind them, don't forget where you came from, right? You were slaves in Egypt, and then I chose you, and I made you special, and I revealed the law to you, and I gave you your land, and the, the reason for that was so that you would become a light to the nations. And the reason for that is so that all the nations would know the living God, right? That was the plan. But over the years, things became parochial. And they, they kind of became inward, you, where we circle the wagons, like in the Old West you know, circle the wagons, and everybody who's in is in, and everybody who's out is out. And oftentimes the church over history has done the same thing, where we were out, and yet we were invited in, and then after a while, 
If you don't look like a Southern Baptist, then you're not in. If you don't look Episcopalian, Methodist, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, if you don't look like us, you're not in. And the church becomes like a castle. And even worse, we take up our weapons and we shoot at anything in culture that doesn't look like us. And the motto becomes, if it moves, shoot it. We'll ask questions later. Because they're out and we're in. It's getting uncomfortably quiet right now. So that's what Jesus is dealing with right here. And it's, he's asking the question, who's in and who's out? So there's a line I want you to notice where this person, we don't know who it is, but he's breaking the silence or the tension in the room in verse 15 where he says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus gives us the parable. So now let me give you the broader setting. You're still there, right? So here's the broader setting. Three things have just happened at this table, this feast that's happening here. And I want you to picture the feast with me. You can't picture a Western feast. You can't picture this big table at a king's house or something like that. You have to picture something like this, where they're seated on the floor. Now, this is a small feast because you can see there's only about 10 people there. But uh, at the head of the table is Robert, our uh, contact person and, and translator. You have me, Joel Parker, hey Joel, and uh, Jacqueline Isaac, and General Carzon. And General, General Carzon is the uh, chief general for the whole uh, Kurdish army in northern Iraq. And he invited us over, and this was a big feast. He invited us over, and then he let us know when the meal was ready, and then we came in. And that's what's, what's happening here. Jesus is sitting on the floor or sitting on cushions. There, the table was either on the floor or just slightly raised up, but they'd be seated on the floor, and usually they would be uh, leaning over to their left, not sitting Indian style, using one hand to help feed them. I, I, it seems to me like your arm would go asleep. You know, if you just were leaning on, and I've wondered if they ever said in the middle of the meal, all lean to the right, and they say, <laughs> but usually it was your right hand that was being used uh, to feed yourself because nobody knew where your left hand had been. That's just the, just the way it was. So, it says all the way back in verse one, one day, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So Jesus is being carefully watched by the Pharisee and some of the other guests there. The question is, is Jesus in or is he out? Because Jesus is kind of suspect. He's this new guy. We, he's doing some things that are a little bit unorthodox. And so we're keeping an eye on him. Then it says in verse 2, here's the first incident that happens in the setting. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. Right across from him at the feast is a man that has this issue. 
In the English translation, some in English translation, translations, that's ironic, isn't it? Can't pronounce English translation. <laughs> the word is dropsy. The more modern uh, medical term is edema. And it just refers to some swelling in the body that could have any underlying causes. And so they're watching Jesus to see what he will do about this. Now, why? Well, the people on the inside had predecided, and you can read about this in, in the Qumran writings that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that they wrestled with whether you could heal or do something kind for someone on the Sabbath that involved work because you were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So the law says don't work on the Sabbath. The oral tradition, the Mishnah says, now we gotta figure out what work is. And so there was a long list of hundreds and hundreds of laws deciding on what was work and what wasn't work. And one of the, the, the conclusions was that you cannot help animals basically even on the Sabbath. Even if an animal is giving birth, you cannot help that animal on the Sabbath. Any other day, but not that day. And you and I would think as outsiders, wow, really? The other thing is if uh, a person fell into a well, could you help the person out of the well involved work? Well, the answer is yes, you can help the person, but you can't use a rope or a ladder. So now they're watching Jesus. What is he going to do with this person? Because this person's going to have dropsy the next day, anema. You know, why do you have to do it today? Why? And Jesus asked the question, what would you do? Your ox or your child falls into a well. And, you know, you kind of would look around and see if there's any Pharisees <laughs> watching. And then you do what you do. So Jesus goes and head and heals the man right in front of everyone. Whoa, tension goes up a lot at the Pharisee's house. And it says there, they said nothing. The second thing happens at this feast. Jesus challenges, he looks around the seating and he challenges them regarding their seating and the seats of honor. And he says in verse eight, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited to sit in that seat. So wouldn't that be embarrassing? I, I've done that before at, uh, at banquets where I see that someone of honor is seated at a table and nobody's seated with them. And I thought, I'm cool with it and go right up and sit next to him. And uh, probably the wrong thing to do, to then be invited to move to a lesser table. Proverbs 25, uh, verse 6, actually says, don't exalt yourself at the king's presence. Do not claim to be among great men. And it says, uh, take a lesser seat and wait for them to say, come up here rather than be humiliated by nobles. So Jesus 
takes that proverb and he says, you guys, in all of life, not just at banquets, why are you wanting to look important? Now think about that. I always want to look important. I want to look good. I want, to, I want you to like me. So we do certain things, we behave certain ways, we drive certain things so that we'll fit in, right? There was a song that came out uh, a few years ago um, by Echo Smith called uh, uh, something about the cool kids. Do you remember that song? Yeah. Some of you are looking at me like, Echo Smith. Let me remind you about a song in the 60s. Yeah, now you're there. Uh, how about Dobie Gray, Mo Motown music? I'm in with the in crowd. I don't I sing it just like he did. Uh, I go where the in crowd goes. We all want to be on the in. We don't want to be on the out. And so Jesus is just saying, don't, don't mess with that stuff. Just take a lesser seat. Forget about it. And then if someone says, here, you're at a seat of honor, then, then great. And then the third thing that happens, he warns against only inviting. So he looks around to see who's at the table, and he notices there's no poor people. There's no people with, with any issues whatsoever. They all look nice and wonderful and everything else. And he says... When you have a feast, don't just invite your friends, family, and neighbors, uh, but when you give a banquet, in verse 13, he says, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame and the blind. So now, what happens? The room is really tense. What is Jesus? I mean, he's at this other guy's house, and he's kind of taking things apart and and saying this shouldn't be. And so this guy speaks out in verse 15 to break the silence and the tension. He says, uh, blessed is the one. Um, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Meaning, regardless of our differences at this table, we'll all be there in the by and by. And with that, Jesus tells the parable. And it's the question, oh, will we all be there or won't we? You're with me so far? So it dispels this awkward moment and it issues in this issue of the Messianic feast, which even though we don't talk about that much in all our culture, in, in Western church culture, we always talk about who's going to heaven and who isn't going to heaven. But Jesus actually talked in this language, with the Messianic feast. He was the Messiah, and oftentimes when he was eating, it was a pre-example of the Messianic feast that would one day come. And it wasn't just talk about heaven, but it was talking about a new heaven and a new earth. And the picture, as scholar N.T. Wright points out, is that you and I are humanoids. We're we're not angels. We weren't just designed to float around like angels in heaven, but there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We don't know all of what that will look like, but we will actually reign with Christ on planet earth. 
There seems to be an intermediate time where we go to heaven and we're waiting for this consummation to come, but God will have his way. He designed humans to be his image on planet earth and that day is still coming. So that's what this is really, really all about. But the question is, who will be there and who won't be there? So we come to the parable in verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. In the book of Esther, you can read about this. It's in verse 14, where uh, Esther is preparing this banquet. If you know the story, she's preparing this banquet for the king and for Haman, the bad guy in the story. And so she prepares the banquet and then she sends out her servant a second time to let them know it is now ready. So that's exactly what's happening here. So it would be like this in our culture that you send out an invitation and let's say it's, it's a wedding reception. So you're, you're paying 50, 60, maybe even more bucks per head to serve a meal. And then beyond that, you have a band that's playing. And beyond that, you've rented the building. So it's a lot of money. So when someone sends an RSVP, I'm coming, it's important that... They are coming for sure, so you don't waste money. And they're not bringing more than they said, and I'm bringing all my cousins, but they're not bringing less than what they said. And so it's a little bit important in our culture, but in those days where it's a village and everybody knows whether you said you were coming or whether you're not coming, it's really, really important. So then to up the ante, he tells us, Three people who made excuses as to why they're not coming. The first excuse is, uh, uh, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Now, Jesus, in his parables, as I pointed out last week, is often packing it with hyperbole or something ridiculous to entertain and, and to get the attention of the listener. And here... The people in that culture would know, no, no, no. If you're buying some property, you don't go and look at it after you bought it. You go and look at it before you buy it. You investigate, is this something I'm going to buy? Do I want to really put the money into it? So that by the time this banquet comes that you already RSVP'd to, you're good. You can go because you already checked out the land, the deal's done, so forth. But So the guy has a bad excuse. The second bad excuse is... Um, I just bought five yoke of oxen. A yoke is a pair. So I just bought 10 oxen, and I need to try them out. Bad excuse, because you try out the oxen before you buy them. You go road test a car before you buy it. You don't road test it after you buy it. And so it's another bad excuse. And then the third bad excuse is extreme. I just got married. Was that a surprise? 
Now, in our day, it is a surprise. I have people all the time, hey, you know, we just got married. Surprise, it was COVID, and so we're married. Uh, I, I had one back in January, one back last fall, and, and they said, you know, we just got married. And I said, okay, congratulations, but not in that culture. In that culture, you got to meet the families, two different villages or the same village. And then when you did get married, it was a week-long ceremony. It was a big to-do. So it wasn't just happened or surprise. And so it's another bad excuse. So these three excuses are culturally unacceptable. And so the servant comes back and reports the excuses and the master gets angry. Again, they had RSVP'd, they are coming. The servant goes out and says, okay, the barbecue's ready. And they say, now I'm not coming. So the tension is high. And now we come to verse 21. So he reports back, the, the master of the home gets angry and he orders his servant, Go out into the streets, the alleys, and the towns, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, this is where you and I come in. If you are wondering where you want to be in the story, this is you. Now, is that how you think about yourself? Well, no. I'm one of the special people that he would have invited. I mean, if I were God, I would want me too, right? So I'm one of the special people, not one of the blind, the lame, and so forth. And so Jesus is pushing back on how we see ourselves in relationship to God. Do we deserve to be in heaven? Do we deserve to be at the Messiah's table? Am I that guy that if I were God, I should have invited me? And it causes me to self-reflect. Now, you can imagine at the feast, things are becoming very, very tense. The Qumran writings that were... uh, these writings were in rabbinical teaching in Jesus' day that you cannot sacrifice to God a blemished animal, an animal that is lame, that is blind, anything wrong with, and if you're a priest, you cannot be a priest in the temple of God if you have any defect. And so, the question came up among the rabbis. Who can be at the Messiah's table? And the decision was the lame and the blind and all the defects could not be at the Messiah's table. Only the cool kids. Only the in crowd could be with Jesus because Jesus is the center of the inn and those of us that are in are in. So now think of what happened in the book of Acts as the gospel starts to go forth to the Samaritans. Think of the people that Jesus ministered to. Mary Magdalene, full of demons. 
the woman caught in adultery, uh, Zacchaeus, a tax collector, who is uh, considered to be a traitor because he's uh, doing these business deals with the Romans. Uh, Jesus has lunch with him. Jesus is breaking all the rules, having contact with all these different people. The king of the mountain paradigm that we live in, in your neighborhood, in your business, in our social contacts, Jesus flips it upside down and then asks the question, where are you? Because the people who are broken and need a Messiah are at the top of Jesus' list. And the people that have it all together don't need much help from anything. I'm good, God. I'll see you later. When I die, we'll, we'll figure it out. But right now, I'm good. So now the final close, the final call and the close of the parable. Sir, the servant, in verse 22, said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room in the banquet hall. So the master told his servant, then go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste of my banquet. Who's in, who's out? The people who rejected me will not be in. But those who are unsuspectedly invited and just happen to be on the roadside and saying, well, I don't know, who's Jesus? Well, oh, okay, sounds good. They're in. What? Now think about this. In, in our time, I grew up not as a Christian, and I've heard myself say things like, oh, I can't believe in a God who would reject people and let these people in and those people out. Uh, forget about that God. But here Jesus is turning the tables and saying, no, it's people who reject God. C.S. Lewis does the same thing. That great scholar in his fun fantasy book, The Great Divorce. If you're ever looking for a fun book uh, that make you look like you're a scholar, uh, it's like a 90-page book. And, it, and it's just a fantasy about a bus that goes to heaven every day from hell. Isn't that a cool story? And all these people get on and they say, wow, get to sightsee in heaven, see what it's like. And, and you actually get a choice. If you want to stay, you can. Or you can take the best bus back home. But as they all get on the bus, they decide they don't like heaven. And all these different reasons, they get back on the bus to go back to hell. The idea that Lewis is capturing is the same idea here. The people reject God. Will God force us to be in a place that we don't want to be? I want to live forever. I want to have eternal life. I want to do whatever I want to do forever of whatever I want to do. But what if it's a God place? And what if it's all about God and it's all about worshiping him? And what if it's all, I don't know. It's just, you know, what if it's golf? You know, what if it's just surfing forever, you know? What, if it's what I want, I want to do it. But if it's, 
if it's about God, I'm not sure I want to be there forever. So Jesus is touching on this very issue. But the point of the issue is the people who eventually come are not expected to be the invitees. They're not expected to be the guests. And that bothers the people that are on the inn. And it ended up bothering the people in church history. Remember when the Apostle Paul went out in the book of Acts and he was winning Gentiles to Christ. It was the Judaizers who came from Jerusalem that said, yeah, Jesus might have been the Messiah, but you still got to become Jewish for God to like you. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. They're Greek, they're Italian. They don't need to become Jewish ethnically for God to like them. They can just come to God as they are. Do you remember the hymn? Just as I am, without one plea. Um, Is that the truth, that God would accept you just the way you are? So, our persona socially is usually that I'm pretty okay, but God behind our persona knows what's wrong with us. He knows what part of my spirit is lame, blind, broken. He knows it all, right? My wife and I were doing our DNA and our our, uh, genealogy, talking about it and looking up our last names and grandparents' last names and everything else. And my wife turns to me and she says, you know how you joke all the time in sermons that you come from a long line of horse thieves? And she says, based on what we've seen here, you really do. (laughs) So there's nothing, there's no card, there's no vaccine card or anything I can pull out and say, God, this is why you should have me at your table. I am a person who is blind, wretched, poor, and naked. I have nothing. There's no reason why God should ever take a risk on me. But because of Jesus and him dying on the cross for my sins, I am at the table. And so are you. I was sharing the gospel with my grandparents. Um, I was 18. I'd just come to faith. My parents, one by my dad, eventually six months after came to faith, my brother, my sister. And um, so we decided to go up and visit my grandparents in Whittier, have dinner with them and pray and share the gospel. And they were really good, 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 good. Did I say good? Good people. Anyone who deserved heaven, it was them. And so we shared the fact that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And now, regardless of what we've done or who we were, we could go to heaven and be with Jesus at this messianic feast. 
My grandmother, shrewd as she was, she picked up on this and she says, so are you saying um, a person that hasn't lived a perfect life can be in heaven? We said, yeah, yeah, isn't that great? But she was off on another angle. So are you saying that someone who has broken their marriage vows could be in heaven? Yeah! I mean, they did it wrong, but now they can be forgiven and they, they can go. So, and she led us down this line of logic and she says, are you saying that a murderer on death row can in the last week of his life do this foxhole prayer and accept Christ in their life and go to heaven? Naive 18 year old, yeah, yeah, isn't that cool? And she said, then I don't want your Jesus. Because I have lived a good life and I have always cared for other people and I have always been honest and I am that person. And if that's who's going to be in heaven, I don't want to be there. It was not a happy night. My sister and my mom broke into tears. Um, and we went away full of tension drove home in silence and uh, the good news is later on when my grandmother had cancer she decided that there was something wrong with her and she needed a savior she needed someone who would be able to go into surgery with her and she gave her heart and life to Jesus but doesn't that turn the camera back onto us and say, how self-sufficient, how wonderful am I? Do I really add to God's Olympic heavenly team? Or am I someone on the team that shouldn't be here? And as you see the spread of the gospel throughout the last 2,000 years, you see unsuspected people invited going back to that picture I showed you from Iraq we were visiting a church in northern Iraq a year after ISIS had invaded destroyed Mosul which as you know was the old ancient town of Nineveh which was a Christian city largely Christians living there so they're all displaced and uh, and as we approach this church, the people that are in line aren't just Christians to get food. There are Muslims in line to get food. And you can feel the tension. Can they? Is this okay? And do they need Jesus? And I'm happy to tell you that the church welcomed them. They came in, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and were fed. And that's the picture of the messianic kingdom of God. So how much grace does God have for me? This is the final question. How much grace is needed for me to be at his table? And then how much grace does he want to show through me to the people around me? So think of that person that you hope you don't meet at work, that you hope... If they are in heaven, they have a, a different address than you. 
Think of your neighbor that paints their house purple and you hope that they are not next to you in your mansion in heaven. And think, how much grace did God have for me to be there? And how much grace wants to flow through me to the rest of the people? So I love this parable because I should not be in heaven. My sons wrote a song a long time ago, maybe 17 years ago, called The Beautiful Letdown. And the chorus goes, I don't belong here, I don't belong, I don't belong here, I don't belong, meaning I don't deserve it, I don't deserve to be here. And they have this one line, it's the church of the dropouts, the losers, the failures, the painfully uncool. That's Jesus' church. No matter how cool we are, amazing, rich, famous, wealthy, I already said that, um, beautiful, It's grace, only grace, that allows me to be at his table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us with Jesus, undeserved love and favor. Oh, Lord. And thank you that you have pursued us. You have sent not only a servant out to invite us, but you actually sent your son to die on a cross for us. And the invitation is clear to all of us. Come, come. And God, we don't want to be the people that are too busy living our own lives that we don't want to come to your banquet. And so, Lord, today we open our hearts and lives to you. This morning, while we're praying, if you're a person that just has never given your heart and life to Jesus, never opened your invitation, I want to challenge you to do that today. If you're a person that's been away from the Lord for a long time, maybe you gave your life to him when you were young, and you're hearing the invitation again, this is the time to give your life for him. Or maybe you become a person that you feel like you're on the end because of what you do and how wonderful you are and you've forgotten the rags that you were in when you first gave your life to Christ. All of us collectively, we realize our need for a savior. So while we're praying, while our heads are bowed, If you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ and say, I'm a sinner in need of a loving Savior, I want you to raise your hand where you are and I want to pray for you. It's for your own soul, but just to slip your hand up, yes, God bless you, way in the back, two of you. Here near the front, God bless you. And over here to my right, yes, two of you over here, God bless you. Couple of you right back here, thank you, God bless you. Anyone else? Yes, God bless you, thank you. Yes, God bless you on the aisle, thank you. If you raised your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me as I pray it out loud. Lord, today I surrender to you. 
I open my invitation. No excuses. I want to come. And so come into my life today. Forgive me and wash me and cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit and make my life new. Thank you for the love you have for me that I don't deserve. Give me that same love for others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.